Amen. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as you're seated. Gracious Father, we come to you this morning. And it is with great joy that we consider the throne room of God. In which one day we will stand and we will rejoice with the saints from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation of every age. And we will say worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, who has purchased our redemption and made for himself a people of God, a kingdom that will never end. And God, this morning we, we are overcome with awe and wonder to consider that you would do this for such as us, who face the wrath of God as enemies of God, dead in our trespasses and sin. Yet you, yet you sent your one and only Son, the one, the one and only who could care for this great need of ours, the need of sin. And God, we come today and acknowledge that you are worthy. You're worthy of our lives, of our worship. You're worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And I pray that our time in the Word this morning would deepen our love for you and greatly expand our worship of you. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, which uh, Joe, uh, if you trail read for us a few moments ago, a passage which we are familiar with. And we are today beginning another series. It's a series rooted in history. You see, one of the primary debates of the Protestant Reformation in the 1600s centered on a system in the Roman church that was complex and in many ways created the church as the central figure in salvation. A sacramental system in which the the grace of God was mediated to people through a system of priests and sacraments. So that the church effectively controlled everything from birth, baptism, to death with with the, the whole extreme unction and even beyond with masses for the dead. And we're not here to this morning go into all those details, but this is this is where our series began. Back in the Reformation period, Luther and other reformers were convinced that these practices, among others, were an affront to God himself. They undermined the authority of God's word. And they ultimately robbed God of his glory. So these courageous men sought to really reform the church. Not to get rid of the church, but to reform the church and not to progress forward like we always are thinking today, we've got to press forward, we've got, to be, we've got to be more progressive. But rather to go back, to go back to the basics, which this is our Back to the Basics series. And they, they did so through focusing on five fundamental truths that were, have become known as the five solas of the Reformation. And we have planned to address these over the next few weeks. This week, we are going to deal with Solus Christus. Christ alone or through Christ alone. Next week, Pastor Chris will come and deal with sola scriptura by scripture alone. 
And then the next week, Matt, our brother Matt, will come and, and share sole deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. And then finally, on, uh, on Labor Day weekend, Rob Blair will come and share with us from sola fide and sola gratia, by faith alone, by grace alone. And if you're a, a student of the five solas, you know that those are all flipped out of order. <laughs> I heard a couple of you nod your head. I saw a couple nod their head and one laugh. Yes, usually it begins with sola scriptura, but you see our schedules, we'd been assigned what we were going to preach on and then the schedules changed. And so today you get sola Christus. And, and you know what? It's a great place to begin. It is a great place to begin. Why would we spend time on five solas that are rooted 500 years ago in history? What in the world? What's the point of that? Because the underlying issues that were, were there in the church 500 years ago are present in the church today. They're repackaged and they're repeated in different ways. There is a lack of gospel clarity. What is the gospel? What are we saved from? What are we saved to? Sometimes it's more about the conversion experience or about being made than it is about being made right with God through Jesus Christ. Some are bound up in legalism, others by pluralism, thinking there are many ways to Christ. As historian and theologian Nathan Finn wrote, The Reformation will still matter as long as the biblical gospel is under assault by errors that distort, confuse, downplay, and sometimes even reject the good news that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. And so for that reason, we come back to these basic fundamental truths. And let me tell you, they are fundamental. They are basic. You're going to hear Things that you've heard, if you grew up in in a Bible teaching church, you're going to hear things that you've learned from the time you were in preschool today. And you know what? That's good for us. Because it brings us back to, to not tradition and not what we think about it, but it brings us back to the central point of Sola Scriptura, which is the Scriptures alone. So today, don't think of this as for someone else. Don't think of this as... For some other church or some other person. Think of this as for you. How might I be thinking about the gospel? That is off. That is wrong. Because we're all humans. And we're all full of pride. And we're all full of ourselves. And we begin to think that, that yeah, Jesus, but, but. Today we, we focus on Christ alone because who Jesus is and what Jesus did in his death and his resurrection are foundational to all that we are as believers. You see, without Christ, the church doesn't even exist, right? Without Christ, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's no eternal life. Without Christ, we have no hope. And so it's sola Christus. The point of Solus Christus is that it is not only that Christ is the only way, because we might all today come together with a whole lot of people that would say, yep, Jesus Christ is the only way. He's the only way. But it's also that there is nothing more that can be done than what He has already done. 
And that is a very key, important point for us to grasp onto. And in Revelation chapter 5, we find this truth of Christ alone is the answer. As we pick up John's revelation around the throne room of God. In chapter 4, you see this glorious picture centered around the throne. And here, in the beginning of chapter 5, we are faced with this universal problem of all mankind. All mankind. And it's witnessed in the form of an angelic question. So, if you have your Bibles, turn again to Revelation 5, verses 1 through 4. And John wrote, Then I saw the right hand of Him, who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. You might think of inside and outside. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. You see, the universal problem of Revelation chapter 5 is who will bring God's eternal plan of salvation to conclusion in redemption of the righteous and judgment of the unrighteous? That's the question. Who will answer this question? You see, without Christ, mankind is without a solution regarding the problem of sin and judgment. We have nothing. We got Nothing. We have a problem that we can't answer. We've not just sinned and made some mistakes. We are, we're, it's much bigger, much bigger than that. We are not righteous. None of us. We are dead. All of us. And that's a big problem. Romans 3.10 says none, none is righteous. No, not one. You see, sin is utterly defying, defiling. We are polluted by sins and it, sin and its effects. The poison of sin reaches into the very core of all that we are. Down into our heart and our desires and our thoughts. It's touched everything. At the core of who we are, we're sinners. We're unrighteous. But sin is also eternally deadly. It's not just defiling. It's not just a, a temporary problem. Sin is eternally deadly. We have transgressed the Creator's law and left to our own devices. We have one possible outcome. And that is to face, as we sang a short time ago, the wrath of God, the judgment of God. We face eternal death, for the wages of sin is death. Eternity apart from God in a place, a very real place of torment called hell. You see, man's problem is a desperate Desperate situation which can only be remedied by a divine solution. Christ alone is that singular answer. Christ alone. And here's how John puts it in verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he, he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So why Christ alone? Christ alone because of who He uniquely is. He's the, he is the one King who fulfills the prophecy that we see of Jacob clear back in Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 through 10, where Jacob said, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. 
Your father's sons will bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? And then these words, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Do you hear echoes of Revelation chapter five back there in Genesis 49, where the king, the lion has come and he's established for himself a kingdom, a kingdom of peoples from every tribe, tongue and nation. So as prophesied, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the lion of the tribe of Judah, as is portrayed there by Jacob, who bears the one and only right as the offspring of the King David. And on top of that, he is the sinless son of God who alone was able to, in the next phrase, conquer sin. You see there it says that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, who has conquered so that. So that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. What a beautiful thing. Only he, because of who he is and what he has done, is worthy, is able, has the right authority and power to deal with eternity of salvation and judgment. And in Revelation 5, verses 5 through 7, he goes on and says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered. So that he can open the soul and its scroll and its seven seals. And listen, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing. Well, we heard of the line of the tribe of Judah. Now we see a lamb standing. But this unique phrase, as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went. And he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. The son went to the father and took the scroll. He took the scroll because he alone was worthy. Why Christ alone? Well, Christ alone because he has done what no one else could do. Not only because of who he is, but because he alone has done what no one else could do. You see, Christ alone conquered death. Others died, right? From, I mean, from Adam and Eve on. They've been dying. Okay. Others have actually been raised from the dead. And some of you Bible scholars are like, wait a minute. He's not the only one who's risen from the dead. But he's the only one who's conquered death. Because he alone will never die again. That's a bummer. Can you imagine dying once like Lazarus? Being raised from the dead and being like, man, this, seriously? This again. And then you know what's coming. You're going to die again. I don't know. I don't know what that would do to you, but it wouldn't be easy. I'm sure. So he alone conquered death. You see, salvation is only in Jesus Christ, because there are two conditions that no matter how hard you and I try, we can't meet them. We can't deal with them. If we are to be saved, the first is to satisfy the justice of God through obedience to the law. And James tells us that if we stumble at one point, we're guilty of the whole thing. So that means you and I, as we already heard, none is righteous. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've got a problem. And our problem is, is that we can't 
deal with the obedience issue. We've already blown that one. Okay? But Jesus Christ alone did that. The, other, the second is to pay the price for the sins we have committed. And what are the wages of sin? The wages of sin are death. And the problem is, is that for us, as humans, that's an eternal death. So how are we going to deal with this issue? We've got an issue of obedience that we've already blown. We've got an issue of wages, which we, we could only pay through eternity. How is that dealt with? Well, we can do neither, but Christ did both perfectly. He not only was perfectly righteous, sinless, Son of God, but He, as the Divine One, took on Himself all our sins and paid those wages in full. When He rose from the dead, it was as though it was saying, that check cleared. That check was paid in full. Romans 5.19 says, By the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And then five, Romans 5.10 says, When we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. There's no other way to be, be right with God, to be able to be, live in the presence of God for all eternity other than through Christ alone. It gets no more back to the basics than that. That is at the very fundamental level of who we are as believers. And you're like, I know all this. I know all this. Yes, but wait, there's, there's more for us to think of. As the Lamb of God who was slain, Jesus Christ alone fully satisfied the justice of God and fully paid the penalty of sin. So we still continue to ask, why Christ alone? Well, Christ alone, because His work is complete and final. He didn't just pay a price for sin, He paid the full price for sin. It is complete. And it's a price that was once paid, forever paid. It is not one that has to be repaid or, or added to. Matter of fact, we're going to hit at the very heart of that one. To add, try to add to the price that was paid is to nullify the very meaning of his death. It is to negate the value of it. His his payment was either all or it was nothing. Because again, what can we do as sinners? Nothing. It's Christ alone. So picking up where we left off, let's look at verse 8 of Romans 5. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp. And golden bowls full of incense. And I guess this is where we get the pictures of people sitting on clouds in heaven playing a harp. So there's a couple of you here that, you know, Christy, McKaylin, you guys will be ready for heaven, I guess. But the rest of us will have some catching up to do. Um, I think we make too much of everybody, you know, strumming a harp. Um, beautiful music, but I don't know. There's, there's other things to do, I think, in heaven. Back to our text. Sola Scriptura, right? <laughs> Which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God who was slain, who conquered death, you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, 
and they shall reign on the earth. You see, through his sacrificial death, Jesus Christ took dead men and women and he made a kingdom out of them. He brought them to life and he has built an eternal kingdom. And he did it once and for all. Once for all eternity. And we go, we're going to go to several verses kind of quickly here. And we begin in, in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12. Where we read, He, Jesus Christ, entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, as had been the Jewish practice since the Old Testament. But by means of his own blood. His own divine blood, right? Thus securing an eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. You see, this issue is a once-for-all issue. You see that there? And put that back up for us, if you will. Go back a slide. It's a once-for-all and, and never to be done again. It's an et- it secured an eternal redemption. Not a temporary redemption. You say, well, yeah, that's all... But what about our works? What do I have to do? What has to be done? You need to, by by grace, through faith, trust in that once and for all payment in order that you might take hold of that eternal redemption through Christ. That is at the heart of it. Jesus, in a one-time act, dealt with our sin issue by shedding his own blood, paying our sin debt, And securing an eternal redemption. What he secured needs no more securing. It's done. Galatians 2.21 puts it this way. And Paul is talking about this idea of trying to, through the law, do something more. Okay, we come to Christ by faith. The Galatians had. They came by faith, but they were trying to to live life based on the law, on their works. And it's like, it can't be enough. Right? They'd come out of their systems of belief and thought... Man, I've got to to add to this. There's got to be something more than just by faith trusting in Jesus. Galatians chapter 2, 21 makes it clear that, no, that's not the case. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, in other words, me doing anything, then Christ died for no purpose. That's kind of an astounding verse. His death you are rendering as worthless if you try to add anything to it. You're thumbing your nose at the divine act, the divine work which Jesus Christ did on the cross. You see, if keeping the law, if human attempts at righteousness were the solution, then Christ's death was unnecessary. The Lamb of God was slain for no purpose. See, Jesus did die, and he died to fully conquer sin. In Galatians 5, 2 through 4, Paul builds on this. And he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, just one little, just one little bit of the law, Paul, just one little thing, one little physical act, Christ will be of no advantage to you. None. You see, again, this Christ alone is not Christ plus anything. It is Christ and his payment alone. And then Paul says, verse 3, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. And he's like, good luck. Not happening. You're already a sin. You've already blown it. And now you're adding to it by negating the very death by which Christ paid for your sin. 
You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. You're chasing another whole way, and let me tell you, there is no other way. You either, it's all either Christ or nothing. As John Piper says, there's no later addition to Christ's redemption. Think about it. How could anyone add to what was already perfect? If it's perfect, anything you and I are going to do is mess it up. And that's exactly what we do, right? And we get into the whole comparison game. Okay, we've all got Jesus here, but, you know, I'm, I, look at me, man. I, I give to the church in big ways. I serve the church in big ways. I'm, you know, Chris, he's, a, he's an elder. He spends time in the church every week. He must really be something in God's eyes. I teach a Bible study. I read my Bible through every year. I read it through twice every year. I pray every day. Every meal plus. And we begin to think that, man, I'm, I'm pretty much something. Right? But listen to this. Here's what Jesus Christ did. And this is why it's so significant that is Christ or nothing. Because he was all in and he took all that you had and gave you all that he has. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. He took totally on our sin. So that in him, in Christ, our union with Christ, that those who are in Christ might become the righteousness of God. Now, let me ask you this. The righteousness of God. What are you going to add to that? What are you going to add to the righteousness of God? Young person, you think you're going to be good enough? Senior saint, you think you've done enough good to outweigh your bad? Oh, my word. Your one sin is worthy of death. And Christ says, I give you my righteousness. And to act like somehow you can add to the worthy one's righteousness is an affront to God. If Christ took on our sin and bore its penalty, what is it that we think we can do in addition? If in Christ we've become the righteousness of God, what more righteousness do you propose to add? Your money, your church attendance, your service, your Bible reading and prayer, your social justice, your political activism your moralism or good works, your kind words, your stellar entertainment habits, your self-discipline, leaving the world a better place. All these things are what people will point to and say, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good gal. No, you're a sinner, friend, like me, like everyone sitting in this room. And if this morning you have not by faith come to Christ, you continue to bear your sin. If you by faith have come to Christ, then you're clothed in His righteousness. His righteousness is applied to your sin debt. But if not, that debt is a debt you'll never pay. You think that your education debt is deep? Some of you have been paying on that for years. This is an eternal debt that you don't have a chance to pay off. And so, friend, 
None of that. None of this stuff can improve upon what Christ has done. And how proud of us to think that a sinful man could add one minuscule of benefit, of value, or effectiveness to what the sinless Son of God has done. The late theologian R.C. Sproul said this, The one true God sent His one and only Son to be the one and only Savior of the world. It is through His one and only Son that God's one and only plan of salvation is implemented. Could it be any more clear than what Peter said in his sermon in Acts 4, verse 12, where he said, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or what Jesus said, very simply, in our Awana kids, I think, probably learned this verse early on. In John 14, 6, he said to Thomas, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So for all these reasons, it's Christ alone. It's Christ alone because there's nothing that we can do. Because without Christ alone, we are alone without Christ. And we're alone without life. We're alone without hope. But why Christ alone? This is where around the throne room of heaven, everyone agrees. Why Christ alone? Because anything else robs God of His glory. And one shred of glory robbed from God will not be tolerated. Because He alone is perfect. We are all fallen. It's, it, it's only good that He would get glory. And, and the accusation's been made. I mean, that's pretty arrogant of God. Pretty arrogant of God to want all the glory. Because that's us thinking like men. For David Fowler down front here, he's a good man. He's a good brother. But David doesn't deserve all the glory. Because David's a sinner. And David doesn't begin to even approach the wondrous glory and goodness and holiness and magnificence and honor and power that is due the King of kings and Lord of lords, the sinless Son of God. And for us to think in any way, to try in any way to take away from or add to the gospel is to rob God of deserving credit. And that in itself is sin. Revelation 5, 11 through 14 says, And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, that's a big number, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Who worships? Everything. 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 Because they marvel at the wondrous plan that is being brought to closure here in Revelation in which those who reject the one who is worthy 
will be cast into a lake of fire of eternal torment apart from God in a place called hell. And others who, because of this one, this one who, who was so gracious and so kind and so loving that he came and died on our behalf to provide a plan by which we might be saved. As he brings this to a close, they worship. The theologian B.B. Warfield wrote, The saving power of faith resides not in itself, but in the Almighty Savior on whom it rests. See, in our day and age, we hear this kind of talk. I've got faith. Yep, I'm a a man of faith. I'm a woman of faith. Faith in what? Faith in what? And when you ask that question, well, you know, I I go to church. I'm a I'm a whatever. And, you know. What's that? There's only one. There's only one thing in which our faith can abide that will give us hope of eternally. God's redemptive plan of salvation has always and forever will be His work through the person of Jesus Christ in order that it is clear that God alone gets the glory. That's why this is so important. Not only that we would be saved by the the complete and final and eternal work of Jesus Christ, the one alone who was worthy, but that he alone would get the credit, that he alone would get the glory and not us. Isaiah 42, God says, thus says the says God, the Lord who created the heavens and earth and stretched them out and spread out the earth and what comes from it. It's as though he's saying, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the creator. All right who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I will give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. You see, because our salvation is according to the plan of God, through Christ Jesus alone, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God alone gets the glory. And anything else robs God of glory. And it leaves us with an impossible work. It leaves us back where we started, and here we go round again. And that is the problem of salvation and judgment. And you're left alone. Without an answer. Friend, if you're here today and you've been striving, trying to find a way to answer this problem of sin and judgment and you've, you've thought about in the, in the darkness of the night, what happens when I die? What happens? Let me tell you, you can know today what will happen when you die. If you by faith come to Jesus Christ and, and, and by his, his, accept His grace alone, His gift of His Son's righteousness and His Son's payment for your sin, you can be saved. You can, you can stop striving. You can stop wondering. You can, you can rest. And that is the message of Jesus in Matthew 11, 28 and 29 when He says, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Stop striving. Stop it. Come to me, Christ says, and me alone. I've got this. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. 
For I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So if you've not come to Christ in salvation, the call today is to repent. To repent and come in faith and rest in Christ alone. If you have come to Christ for salvation and you are still struggling and you're like, well, I've blown it so many times and, and man, I'm so, I'm not sure. And, and some of us are so up and down with that. We, we're, we're like, I'm just not sure. I'm doubting my salvation. Are you doubting the Son of God and His payment? Or are you doubting His righteousness? Which is it? You're still resting on your own works. So either rest in His work or rest in your own. And that's a hopeless thing. So come to Him and rest and rest today. That's the call. Repent and rest. Let's pray. Gracious Father, because of Your work alone, we can rest. Martin Luther said that his thought life alone could, dim, could condemn a generation of men to hell. He understood what a sinner he was, but he understood how great of a God he had and how great is your forgiveness because of the work of Christ. Lord, help us to rest in that today. For all who've come to you in faith, may we walk out of here renewed in our faith, in your righteousness, and in your payment for our sin. In order, if there's anyone here this morning who has not come to you in repentance and in faith to rest in you, Lord, may now, right now, whether they are young or old, whether they've grown up in the church or not, Lord, bring them to faith through your Spirit. And may they know the great delight of being able to say, it's Christ alone. It is the hymn of heaven. That it is He who is worthy because He was slain, because He's redeemed for Himself a kingdom of dead men and women that have been brought to life. May you get all the glory from it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.